Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Morning, it's Michael here. Mark's over there. As always, how are you, Mark? Pretty well, thank you, Michael. Great, we have been talking for the past hour, so it feels strange for me to now ask you how you are. Yeah, but sometimes on podcasts, people do sort of bend the truth a bit, don't they? <laughs> no one will ever be any the wiser. No one will know that we're recording two intros in a row. We don't want them to see behind the curtain to no, that extent. don't pull no. the curtain back, put it back down. This week, we have the wonderful Fred, and then we do, the surname is hard to say. Well, it's hard to say even for Fred. This came up in the chat. Do you say language, or is it more of a hard G than that? Uh, so I say language. Yeah, My dad language. says language. So <laughs> right, okay. who knows? I might say that then. That case, yeah. <laughs> Do you say lang because of the accent? I think I say maybe because it makes it easier for people to spell it. Yes, I suppose. Uh, that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like my dad can't be wrong about the name that he gave me. Really. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do it, shall we? So this is a first for the Mankind podcast. Fred was and remains a listener, a fan. And uh, he got in touch with us to say that he had an interesting story and would like to be a guest on the podcast. And having chatted him, we concluded that he did indeed have a a load of really interesting stuff to say. And so this is the first listener invite onto the podcast. And we had a really good time. Genuinely, really fascinating. Uh, Have a lovely time. Enjoy. Hello again. I'm Mark Watson. And I'm Michael Tacoverti. One day we should swap those. Just see what happens. Swap names or personalities. Or, or just say each other's names. Just see if anyone, see if anyone notices. Just, yeah, it'd be mm. depressing if no one does, and we might as well be interchangeable <laughs> figures. We are joined today by, well, either Fred Langridge or Fred Langridge. We've just established that he doesn't pronounce his surname the same as his own father. So a little bit of ambiguity there. <laughs> Definitely someone called Fred. That much is clear. <laughs> Hi, Fred. Would you like to say a little bit about who you are? And people have approached that question in many different ways on this podcast. Yes. It's an open question. Um, my Twitter profile says that I'm a queer, Quaker, transgender, bi-polyamorous optimist, which is a lot of adjectives. <laughs> it's quite a lot to kind of dive into. I think. Yeah. It's a feral bio as they go. Yeah, you're not one of these people that just says, oh, I've got nothing to say, really. Which is a weird number. <laughs> Often on Twitter, people's bio just says, nothing to see here, move on. You sort of mine think, I, I will big, do then. Mine says baked on the telly for a bit. And, and quite about, rightly that's so. That's about all it says. But not Fred's. So carry on, Fred. <laughs> I mean, most of the time I'm an administrator in a counselling centre for children, but I do bits and pieces of training on LGBTQ plus inclusion and 
a bit of writing every now and then on trans things and queer things and religion things. Yeah, yeah you're a Quaker among uh, among all these other things. Yeah, and I had to, for my shame, Google what being a Quaker meant. Could you explain a little I'm about... being too young to have heard of anything. Well, I knew it was that. a type of porridge sometimes. Yeah, that's... But I believe it has more of a, a deeper meaning. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> unless we are talking to an oat as we speak. There now. is a form of Quakerism which is even more significant to the world's development than porridge. Yeah, yeah. would you mind explaining <laughs> what Quakerism is and, and what it means to you? So, originally, it's like a split off sect of Christianity in the right. like during the English Civil War kind of period there were lots of weirdo <laughs> Christian cults popping up and Quakers were one of them based on the radical idea that everybody's equal and that you don't necessarily need paid educated preachers to tell you what's right and wrong an idea which has taken a long time to really find its place it's fair to say <laughs> yeah um, it's less less straightforwardly part of Christianity now than it was when it mm-hmm. started off, really. Yeah, in fact, there were people who wouldn't describe themselves as Christians, maybe, who still would be Quakers. Yeah, that's right. And I always say it's complicated if you ask if I'm a Christian. I don't think it matters to me whether this dude 2,000 years ago rose from the dead. Right. And that definitely does matter to some Christians. They, they it will definitely talk does, about it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like his useful contribution to the world was telling people to be nice to each other. Yeah. Very simplifying, but like that's where I'm at with that aspect. Yeah, but it's true. that You wouldn't always think that was at the core of his teachings when you look at some people, but there we are. Yeah, <laughs> and you weren't raised as a Quaker. You came to it sort of later in life. What happened there? So when I was a kid, I was a Baptist. My dad was a Baptist minister right. in quite a liberal branch of the Baptist church. Again, Baptists don't have really clear central beliefs that everyone has to sign up to. So the atmosphere in different churches varies quite a lot. So I wouldn't say that I was brought up in a kind of hellfire and brimstone church, right. mm. but it was definitely Christian. Like I was baptised when I was 15 or 16. Right. When I went to uni, I wanted to find a church that was as accepting as my kind of home church had been. And then I had a really terrible boyfriend and he took me to a Quaker meeting and the terrible boyfriend was terrible, but the Quaker meeting seemed really good. And yeah, just kind of fitted in with who I was really. So you dumped the boyfriend, but kept the the way of life. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. I mean, going back to your childhood, you mentioned there you you were brought up in a Baptist household, especially with your father. Mm. What, as a listener to the podcast, you'll hear the first question that I'm about to come to, but what was your first kind of brush with masculinity? Was that related to your faith or was it separate? So I think... In some ways, my religious childhood was quite gender neutral. Right, Baptists have had women ministers for a long time. Mm, There were still a lot more men in the kind of power positions. But I would say that my childhood altogether was pretty gender neutral. And that probably contributed to me not realising I was trans until I was older. So I'd play He-Man with my friend Peter and then I'd go home and play Care Bears with my friend Adele. and Your friends with Adele? How exciting. <laughs> uh, there's been more than one person called there's Adele. more than one Adele, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I had boy interests and girl interests, and I yeah. wasn't kind of steered towards either of those. But do you remember them being called or kind of seen as boy interests or girl interests, perhaps not when you were younger, mm-hmm. but perhaps when you grew up a bit more? Yeah, I guess at school it was more clear. Right. But I was just in the nerd category, like with the nerd boys and the nerd girls. And Which transcends gender. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of separate. 
So I guess the time when I first realised that it might be applicable to me was when I wanted to know whether people would fancy me or not. Not that I didn't know that I had been kind of assigned the label girl as a child. Mm. But like when I was in my teens, suddenly I had to be doing girl in a particular way for people to fancy me. Yeah. Honestly, whether it was girls or boys, and I don't think that any of this was true, but it was my perception that you had to be doing your gender properly. And everyone said boys were gross, right? So it's mm. better to be a proper girl than a proper boy. It's also worth mentioning that perceptions of yourself are also true, like at that time, mm. because that's kind of how you grow your, your definition of self. Yeah, we've talked about this before, how it's extremely difficult to talk about your childhood impressions with any objectivity you know, from a later date because you, you reverse engineer your yeah. conclusions. But it does sound as if you were, uh, and this is a fairly, yeah, fairly normal teenage trajectory, you were pretty relaxed about the boys and girls thing until the mucky business of who will do stuff with me. <laughs> yeah, and what I will look like as a grown-up as well. Like Absolutely. You know, the physical effects of puberty have quite a strong um, effect on your experience of the world. Yeah, and you came out in your teens, so... How did that come about as you kind of started to realise that, oh, what people are saying I am isn't how I think I feel? So I came out first as bisexual. Right. And that was like a total non-event, really. When I came out to my parents, they said, uh, yes. <laughs> One of those comings out. <laughs> yeah. And like sexuality and gender are all mixed up together, right? So I yeah. perceived myself as a masculine person who fancied women and as a person who fancied men. Right. And it took more kind of investigation of what was all labelled lesbian culture at the time for me to go, oh, I can reasonably present myself as more masculine than this. Mm -hmm. I'd heard of the concept of trans men. It was all very genitalia-based, what I knew. Mm, Like, I think everyone's conceptions of transness at the time it was all about sex change operations i think even now yeah, a, lot of, a lot of people's idea of what trans means is sort of bogged down in very specific yeah. lot of genitalia data people tend yeah. to focus on trans people's genitals more than i focus on my own quite frankly at yeah. this point point. and you you're very into yours so that's saying something <laughs> <laughs> the conclusion that i did reach was that it was all right to want a name that was more masculine than the name that i had and to wear masculine clothes. So I was doing like all the aspects of social gender transition without realising that I was allowed to call it the label trans or transgender. And you were using the name Fred at this point. So yeah, in sixth form, I said, I want to use the name Fred. And there's a fun reason for this, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. about your mum. Yeah, they just called us Fred as a like gender neutral, generic child name when we were children. (laughs) I think that's fun because as a parent, even with two kids, I quite often think, oh, I can't be asked with remembering. (laughs) I've always been quite (laughs) impressed by my mother who will... I'm one of three, and she will cycle yeah. through the other two names before getting to mine. Oh, uh, my mum does that as well, But then when she switches yeah. to my uh, yeah. other brother, she'll cycle through our two names. So she knows the name, but you just get a list of the other she two names. She knows names all the us. available names of her children. Yeah. It's just sometimes it's hard <laughs> to isolate them, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And ours would sometimes do that with me and my sisters and the dog. But Fred is a nice catch-all. I quite like that. Yeah, and my mum kind of helped me through the process of deciding to be called Fred, the pros and cons of going to school and saying, I've got a new name now. But like once I decided that I was brave enough to do it, it was really straightforward. And then I totally chickened out when I got to university and didn't dare tell anyone that my name was Fred. Wow. So I went back to the old name at that point. That's interesting, though, because people wouldn't have known you as anything else, would they? Wasn't that sort of a clean slate? But they'd had lists, like lecturers got lists Ah. of who was in their class. And 
my housemates got a list of who was in their house. And right. so many people are like given your name before they meet you as a person at university. And that name was not Fred as far as they were concerned. And that name was not Fred as far as they were concerned. Yeah. I can see why that would be really difficult. I would have imagined it'd be difficult at school as well. How was it? Because I think if we'd been told at school, this person you've known for years is just called mm. a different thing now. I mean, I wouldn't have been hostile to it, but I think it would have been really a strange transition to make, maybe if that's the, not no pun intended. Yeah. There was some really supportive people in my sixth form. Sixth form felt easier than in lower school. So my sixth form was part of the school that I'd been at. Mm. So it was reducing the number of people rather than increasing it. There were several other queer people in my sixth form who I was friends with. That helped. There were a couple of teachers and enough proportion of the other kids that I knew would be nice about it. That's good. That wouldn't be a given in every school. No. It's nice to hear as a story where you've kind of gone to your parents and said, I'd like to dress this way and be called this, and they've kind of worked with you. Yeah. Has that always been the case with your family? They've always just kind of gone with who you are and what you want to be? Yeah. It's really boring in terms of family background, but really nice. Do you know what? It's not boring. It's really lovely. Sadly, it's a story that doesn't get told so often, but a young queer person who is able to come out as queer in an environment where everyone goes, okay, that's lovely. And I've been doing, like, I know that the role models question comes in the future, but... <laughs> this is what we like. We like it when guests have done a little bit of homework. It's getting a bit better, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> what if we now didn't do the question just to mess with Fred? Oh, that would, yeah. But, like, I've been doing stuff that my dad liked and enjoying music that my dad liked and wearing clothes that my dad wore right throughout my childhood that's because my dad's really cool not because i'm really uncle <laughs> of course you hasten to add like i'd get his hand-me-down jeans and like his wrangler cord jacket that was the coolest jacket anyone in my school had and we used to go to gigs together and festivals together and stuff so i think it was all right for me to be the kid that identified more with my dad's interests mm. right without that having to be a gender thing when I was a kid. So it was just a very easy slope, I think. But then, as you say, at university, you sort of regressed from that position a bit. Yeah, I chickened out. At university, I hung out with lads a lot, but I wasn't really identifying as one of them. I always called myself Butch. Hmm. Tomboy didn't quite fit because Tomboy always seems sporty and I cannot throw a ball in a chosen direction ah you're one of, <laughs> one of michael's people here chosen direction there's something lovely about that isn't there yeah, you know you can, can throw, throw it in some ball. direction yeah. <laughs> it'll go somewhere but often sports yeah. coaches require a bit more precision than that yeah so you know i went to the war games club at university and played dungeons and dragons with my housemates and those kind of masculine pursuits what was that one that you used to paint little figures on what was that that's warhammer Warhammer. yeah we used to like that when we were younger i joined the um the painting toy soldiers club when i left university um and that was where my gang of lads always was but i in fact married a very nice man from the war games club and he really wanted me to be a proper girl. Oh, really? I think not even that he thought I ought to be, but that he just assumed that was the trajectory, that, you know, you are you can do what you like when you're a teenager and then you settle down and perform your gender properly. Mm. But in fact, you were almost on the opposite trajectory by the time of it. You... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were very difficult internal negotiations while I was married to him. And ultimately, I mean, there are lots of reasons why any relationship continues or ends but i guess one of them was i couldn't fit into the cisgender heteronormative box that he was comfortable in 
I mean, I'd like to talk a bit more about that, but I'm interested in yeah. this gaming group. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to go for the breakdown of the marriage or the game? <laughs> <laughs> we'll come to both. We've got time. But my chosen direction, if you will, is the gaming, because it's something that comes up a lot with people who don't feel like they sort of fit for whatever reason, in conceptions of gender. But gaming seems to be something where people who feel, I don't know whether you would agree, where people who feel like an outsider in some sort of way find a sort of community. Did you feel like that? And why do you think that community kind of happens? I guess one thing is that it's a community that is, in theory, completely removed from being attractive or having to perform being attractive. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the games. Yeah, there were not many women involved in it when I was there. Like, I have one female friend from gaming clubs. Right. And as far as my friends in that period, or even my friends in the Marbles Cooperative at school, as far as they all knew, I was the token girl. I just wasn't very good at being a girl. But yeah, I think... By the way, we can't let the moment pass without savouring the idea of a Marbles Cooperative, was it? <laughs> marbles Cooperative. Yeah, I mean, we just, we pulled our Marbles collections because it makes much more sense yeah, that way. You uh, can... The phrase for that undoubtedly is Marbles Cooperative. <laughs> it's just I've never heard it. I've never heard those two words together But Fred, before. what if you had a really nice marble and someone else wants your marble and they were coveting your marble Well, they, they could take your marble? Sometimes we need socialism for these moments, Mike. <laughs> well, yeah, you own the marbles in common. It's all very egalitarian. And, and if there's a marble marble that someone doesn't want to risk then the whole collective doesn't risk that marble so one could still cover to marble and also participate in the co-op yeah oh yeah socialism doesn't close down our individual desire for things it's just about trying to pursue our goals corporately i guess oh, that's lovely <laughs> didn't think we get onto this but i didn't think we get onto marbles <laughs> that either. ryan reynolds here from mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Were you competitive about those games, though, Fred? Like Dungeons and Dragons, for example. No, because that always interests me. Because there is this idea that you know more traditional men like me who like stuff like football or whatever, or all team sports, it's because it is some sort of it answers some yearning for war that we all have. And you know, you'll often you, hear. If that, I was to play Monopoly with you, would you get competitive? I would intend to win. Yeah. I, See, I would, that's the I opposite to me. And, and I suppose yeah. this is why I'm asking because I'm not. I don't want to generalise about straight men, gay men, or anything, but. It, there seems to be something in the makeup of because I've known straight men who are not interested in sport like football, cricket, or anything. But yeah, they normally are interested in some form of gaming instead, mm. and their approach to those games mirrors mine to team. I sport. love board games, 
but I do not care if I win. That is interesting. I also love them, no. but I definitely do care. <laughs> and I don't know if that is a gender split or what. I mean, a, a, a sexuality. So that's why I was interested in Fred's yeah. response. I would often prefer not to win. Really? Because... So this is about being a SWAT at school, I think. If you come second, <laughs> then people are less likely to bully you for being a SWAT. Right. Okay. Actually, that is true. I was quite—I was a bit of a SWAT. I was clever at school, but I had the advantage of a best friend called Tom, who was by far the, the most intelligent and the best in every subject. So I was able to be quite studious under cover of darkness because I was overshadowed by him. Yeah. Again, that second best theory <laughs> really does stand of, out. My lack of competitiveness riles people because I don't care whether I have Mayfair or not. It doesn't really bother me. And I will trade it for a sandwich if that is how the game plays i think also as a middle child there was always someone who is more experienced than you or more youthful and so in the, if you're in the middle you just you just learn that just being in the middle is okay it's fine yeah i'm a middle child as well ah so do you also aim for mediocrity yeah i think so i <laughs> i expect my big sister to be better at everything than i am even yeah. though we're now both in our 40s they were and i am a firstborn child and i I don't expect to be better, but I feel an onus of responsibility to be better. It may be interesting. Fred, uh, you're younger. Like, is that a younger sister you have? Yeah. So for me, my little brother, Cameron, is the kind of person who takes risks. And I often wonder whether that's because we sort of we would push him down a slide. And if he survived, we would also go on the slide. Is, is that <laughs> yeah. sort of the, the yeah, equivalent you, with your sister? Younger siblings are canaries. For, yeah. <laughs> There's quite a big gap between me and my younger sister. There's only three years between me and my older sister and eight years between me and my younger sister. Right. So I don't think we did like risk her life very often. Too many times. To be fair, these slides <laughs> were fairly small. They weren't. I wasn't throwing them off like Niagara There Falls. are lots of, if you look at the slide death stats, they're not too bad. Actually. <laughs> We've veered somewhat off course from the gaming. We have. We did do that. I mean, my little sister would is super doing the running to catch up thing with the older ones. Right. In that she's incredibly intelligent and successful academically but she's like i think that i'm always going to be less clever than my big sister my little sister always thinks that she's going to be less clever than us even though she's way more achievey in those fields you were saying that coming second place kind of prevents any bullying mm. did you encounter that when you were at school not a lot again i think i was really lucky with who my friends were so i had boy friends and i had girl friends and they were all no offence to any of my friends who might listen to this, but they were all a bit weird. <laughs> and once you're in a group of five or six weird people, then there's enough kind of protection in that yeah. to mm. to not get bullied. Do you think, because I know you do some work around these communities and everything now, you've mm. mentioned this, do you, would you say on the whole that it's getting easier for young trans people to, well, to live, to, to live as themselves? Because I, I, I'm about the same age as you and... I don't think at my school anyone did undergo the journey that, that you have, or at least not, we weren't conscious of it. No. But I, I would have said it was a pretty difficult environment for that to happen. And I wonder what life is like for this generation of trans youths compared with when you were in that position. I think it massively depends on what school you're in. Like mm. each school is still... a Its own country to some extent. Contained bubble, yeah. And some schools are great and really supportive and I think that what the teachers are like makes a, a huge difference to what the kids are like. Mm. You know, if the teachers have the attitude of, oh, yeah, this person has different name and pronouns, this term, we'll all just accept that and, and move on. Then, you know, kids tend to follow the lead of the teachers, even if they would say that they don't yeah. or would prefer not to. So, yeah, I mean, I know and have met trans teenagers who've had a really, really hard time at school 
and others for whom it's been relatively straightforward. Mm. So trans men often wear a binder to like flatten their chest yeah. before getting top surgery or sometimes without ever intending to get top surgery. And I, I know of teenagers whose schools say, no, you must wear the girl's uniform and you're not allowed to wear a binder. Mm. And other schools that are supportive and enable someone's social transition. And social transition is all you can do as a teenager, right? Because no medical stuff can happen until you're an adult. Just quickly on that note of binders, I think something it often isn't talked about as much as it possibly should be. And I say possibly when I mean definitely should be. Do I put it more strongly than that? Keep I think going. people should talk about binders. I uh, didn't know about this until the podcast started, I should yeah, say. Yeah, it's basically, I mean, you're probably more equipped to talk about. Uh, could you explain to someone who might not know what a binder is, what it is? So it's like a vest-shaped thing. That's a British vest rather than American vest, so undershirt, but made of quite non-stretchy fabric at the front. Mm. Like a knee support almost. Yes, but maybe even less stretchy than that. Right, okay. A constricting vest. Yes, a constricting vest. Like they're sold as compression vests. Ah, I know. Right, yeah. Uh, Almost nothing is sold as actually for trans people. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So many things have to just go (laughs) under the radar, like in the speakeasy days. Yes. Yeah. And actually, like I rarely wore one right. before I had surgery because they're bloody uncomfortable. Does sound like it. When I think back to my days of wearing vests to school, the last thing I wanted was for it to be a bit heavier. Well, the reason I, <laughs> I wanted to come back to it was there may be young people listening to this who are at a school where they're mm. being told they aren't able to wear a binder or express themselves how they feel like they yeah. need to. What would you say or suggest to them? So there are loads of kind of support and advice sources. There's a charity called Mermaids and a charity called Ah, Gendered Intelligence that both do a lot of support for trans youth. And honestly, I would say, go and ask them. As somebody who didn't wear a binder, I wore waistcoats a lot because they do a bit of a similar trick. But there are safety considerations to anything that you might try and DIY and so go and get advice from the, the proper sources. Yeah, things like hydration as well in the summer and things. Mm-hmm. But um, oh, God, so it's, yeah. what's interesting is you, you seem to have had a very open childhood. And then when you went to school and then university, that openness was closed off in a sort of way where you conformed slightly more to a version of yourself that isn't who we see in front of us now. Yeah. What kind of made you go back to that openness? And how did you reach this place where you are now, where you're able to be who you are? So at the end of my 20s, I separated from the nice man from the War Games Club, <laughs> moved into a flat with my little sister. And really, the, the path to gender transition is a bit wiggly. So I started going to BICON, which is a, um like annual gathering of bisexual people in the UK that a friend of mine had been encouraging me to go to anyway. And I went partly because I was bi and like hanging out with other bi people seemed like a reasonable idea. And partly because I had decided to do like ethical non-monogamy. And I knew that there were people who were trying to live in that way at BICON. So I kind of went partly as much to meet them as as to to meet other bi people, because like most of my friends were bi anyway. I didn't right. didn't need a bi community, but a a non-monogamous community felt like a useful thing. And that is how you still live, isn't it, in a non-monogamous relationship? It is, yeah. It works very differently in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a difficult time to be 
non-monogamous, I suppose, well, just practically speaking. Well, yeah. I mean, could you explain what you mean by ethically? Um, yeah, this is not something we've actually discussed before. I don't think. I couldn't say that. Course. Not non non monogamous. That's there's a lot of nonsense in there. It's lucky it's yeah. not how you live because you can't no, actually say yeah, it. Luckily yeah, not. But, uh, <laughs> Fred not seems to have practiced it. <laughs> It's as hard to write as it is to say. There's a lot of loopy letters. <laughs> yeah, lots of words. Surely you could have come up with a, with a quicker way of saying that. <laughs> so some people say polyamorous. That's right. another okay. way. Yeah. So why don't you and what do you define as ethical non-monogamy? Got it right that oh, Like I say non-monogamous because most people know what it means or can work right. out what it means. With you. Okay. Yeah. And ethical because like it really has to be with the enthusiastic consent of everybody involved because... I am not a shithead. And it involves being in, having the Because I'm not a, sh- can we just quickly? Yeah, sorry. Because I'm not a shithead could be the title of this podcast, I think. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a shithead is a healthy thing to say to yourself every, when you wake up, I think. I guess so. Yeah. So you, you can, you have the potential to be in multiple, well, to be with multiple people. Yeah. Each of you in the relationship has that opportunity is the gist of it. Yeah. So I'm in more than one relationship and those relationships are open relationships. So yeah, like the limit is how much time you've got. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's hard enough being in one sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. I wouldn't know, Mark. Oh, sorry, yes, um, I, I do uh, apologise, Michael. So it's you hard went... enough being between zero and one. <laughs> so you went to Viacon and did yeah. you manage to meet a community of people who were non-monogamous? I did, yeah. I mean, well, for starters, I've met everybody that I'm currently involved with in a romantic sense through Bicon, one way or another. I think you're blushing. <laughs> it's, it's really warm in this room. <laughs> do you think that um, non-monogamy is... Do you think that if more people practised it, we would be free of certain hang-ups and things that we have? You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about how binaries of different kinds mm. are responsible for quite a lot of the ways that people behave in life and I haven't met many non-monogamous people quite honestly so I'm interested in what it does to the way you see you know society and, and individuals and all of it I think that it suits some people and it doesn't suit other people yeah yeah but I also think that yeah society as a whole can learn from some of the thinking that non-monogamous people have put into it mm. like about actually articulating what you want from a relationship so what does fidelity mean yeah. You know, for some monogamous people, fidelity means you never flirt with someone else. And for some monogamous people, it means you never sleep with anyone else. Mm. Yeah. And for some monogamous people, it means you can sleep with people as long as you don't fall in love with them. Like there's a massive range. Absolutely. Yeah, there was that American conservative, Mike Pence, I think it was, said that you shouldn't ever even have lunch with a woman unless she was your wife. Or, well, that's probably more, says more about Mike Pence, I think. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't yeah. know anyone, yeah. to be fair. But it, it's a, it <laughs> makes Fred's point that even within the idea of monogamy, there are an awful lot of different notches. Yeah, and I think it yeah. speaks to this sort of openness, I think. It seems like you've felt and had all of your life apart from this period where you kind of weren't this Fred. And yeah. during that time, were you... This is the role model question. It's coming. It's uh-huh. coming. It's, I'm about to segue into it. <laughs> no one could be better prepared because Fred <laughs> even did a preview of it 20 minutes ago. <laughs> but yeah, during the time where you were kind of... Where you weren't who you are now. Well, uh-huh. you've always been who you are now, but you hadn't been able to express yourself in that way. Who were you looking at and going... Who did you look up to, essentially? But as like role models of masculinity or of life generally. Or both, well, either yeah. is interesting. Actually, your dad sounds like one answer, but... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, during that period when I was... Yeah, when I was not being all the weirdnesses that I am now, I guess it was really my parents a lot that... 
totally psychoanalyzing myself, I would say my mum was really ill in that period. Okay. And I knew that she was going to die. And I wanted to get settled down with my person who was going to like be the stable person in my life forever mm -hmm. as soon as I could. Yeah. And I didn't know that you were allowed to do that without performing like mainstream gender. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. It does make sense. And yeah. was, was that part of this kind of those restrictions you mentioned earlier feeling in that relationship was was that because you were modeling yourself on a something that didn't necessarily relate to who you were? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was trying to be a proper grown up lady. <laughs> <laughs> which I never achieved <laughs> because I thought that proper grown-up ladies were the people who got stability. Mm. So when you left that relationship, yeah. you say you went to Bicon because you knew that polyamory or non-monogamy was something that you were interested in. Mm. So where did that option come from? Yeah. So I started from, I don't want a partner. Like I want to be single for a while. And okay. then I decided that I wanted to be able to have casual sex <laughs> like yeah and that followed into i'm not very good at having sex with people that i'm not kind of emotionally attached to yeah quite rightly like if i have sex with someone i do you know i get attached to them uh, so that's one strand. It's amazing you have to say that, but not everybody does approach sex that way. Well, but then some, for some people, sex is more transactional. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, also, yeah. And I think it's it's actually quite healthy. Like you said, actually, in monogamous relationships, to kind of say, set out your soul about, here's what these words mean to me. It's yeah. sort of similar when it comes to just casual sex. Like, what does this yes, mean? It's about what... the rules being the same for both people, I so, guess. So, yeah, very it? considered. Yeah. yeah. The other strand was that one of my school friends, their family sends out, like, a, one of those... Christmas letters that goes in with the Christmas Oh, the card. round robin. Yeah. The dreaded round robin. Yeah. <laughs> we, get, we do those. <laughs> and one year, this round robin just mentioned that this school friend of mine was, you know, living with their three partners and very happily. And I went, hang on a minute, that's the thing. What a progressive round robin, <laughs> yeah. my word. Yeah. Normally it's more to do with things like uh, someone's doing well at hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I got, you know, made contact with this school friend and said, you know, where can I meet people who are doing that then? Yeah, wow. wow. Of all the places to find out about sort of polyamory <laughs> options, you don't expect it to be the Christmas newsletter no, that someone's mum said. <laughs> no. I don't think so at all. But that's really wonderful. I mean, I guess it kind of speaks to where you where you see yourself in the world around you. And a lot of what we've talked about in many of these uh, these podcasts is representation, that's yeah. necessary representation in the world around you so yeah. that you see the options for who you could be, I suppose. Absolutely. And that comes back to the role models and perhaps a more uh, articulate phrasing on my part. Who did you look to as visions of who you could be in the future? Once I was in, like, back in queer community, I would say, like, at that point where I was starting to do non-monogamy, starting to go to Bicon, then at that point it was people that I just met, so people that no one's heard of that aren't famous. That's okay. Though. Yeah, that's partly why we ask, actually, yeah. yeah. Who were doing gender differently. Like, I first heard the word genderqueer in someone introducing themselves at Bicon and went, oh, that might be me. And I had had those sorts of role models when I was younger in my teens, but they were all American yeah. or Canadian, and they were all labelled as lesbian. So I found out about these people through the lesbian magazine Diva and like films that were advertised in the back of Diva were all called lesbian films. Some of them were blatantly about trans men. So Boys <laughs> Don't Cry, the film about yeah. um, oh, yeah, Brandon yeah. Tina, 
like when it came out, it was sold to me as a lesbian film. So I thought that all these things that I wanted to be were American lesbian. Yeah. Right. And you're not an American lesbian, it turns out. I'm not an American lesbian. <laughs> I'm neither American nor lesbian. And also not a shithead. So we've got yeah. three things that you are <laughs> not. <laughs> Lots of things that Fred is not. So like more recently, still some in terms of written things that people can access, I think the writings of S. Bear Bergman were really, like, I felt really seen in those. Right. Bear is a trans man who went, I think that he now identifies as a trans man. He definitely went through a period of writing as a butch, genderqueer, non-binary person, possibly identifying as a woman before that. So he kind of went on this this journey that I have also gone on. We're always on the lookout for these recommendations because, you know, I know that people are listening mm. who want to hear. Yeah, and me what, too. I mean, know. I want to read something else that's interesting. Me yeah. too, yeah. Um, you've spoken about um, the reaction to your transition and some really lovely positive reactions that you had. Would you mind sharing a couple of those? Because I think it's really it's really nice to hear those it's positive good for things. To hear, yeah. I mean, my family, again, like when I came out as bisexual, my family's been really quite amazing. Yeah. I think where my dad has expressed any concerns, it's concerns that he might have in some way been oppressing me and making me pretend to be a girl for oh, bless him. longer than was comfortable for me, which he never did. Like <laughs> my dad has been the least encourager of femininity in me. In terms of my religious community, like my Quaker meetings uh, have also been really supportive. When I first mentioned to my then local Quaker meeting that I was changing the name that they knew me as and, you know, wanted to be referred to in particular ways. They asked me to deliver some training to them on how to do that right. So Quaker meetings each have kind of local decision-making structures and they wrote a statement to put on the website and send to other Quaker meetings saying, we welcome trans and non-binary people in our meeting. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was... I've been really lucky. How did that feel? Oh, just brilliant. Like coming out is supposed to be scary. Everybody tells you that it's going to be scary and that you know trans people have to go through all these traumatic experiences. And I recognise that that is generally true. And I know a lot of people who've had really difficult experiences. I have had some difficult experiences, but on the whole, I've just been incredibly lucky. There used to be a thing that I think is reducing now where you're expected if you're trans to at the point of transition to leave all your friends and all your family and your workplace and set up a new life when nobody knew about your past. Start your life again. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had to do that. My workplace has been tremendously supportive. The workplace I was in when I transitioned was not an LGBTQ specific workplace in any way. My boss had worked in banking before. He was he looked like a very stereotypical straight cisgender man and was just incredibly supportive and lovely. I, I'm being repetitive now in the supportive and lovely, but... It bears repeating. It does. It's I nice think. to hear. Yeah. yeah. Positive. I've, got a, I've got a bit goosebumpy. Especially because there will be people, there might be people at least listening who, you know, are quite a long way back in a similar journey mm. and it is encouraging to hear non-negative stories like this i think yeah absolutely. as you say there is almost this assumption that it will be terrible experience to come out but it doesn't have to be hopefully mm. the question we always ask at the end of the podcast is about qualities if you imagine a build a man workshop and i'm happy for you to build that man at any stage of of, of his life 
But what three qualities do you think that he would need to thrive in the world in which we live at the moment? So I think gentleness. Hmm. Gentleness has always been really important to me as part of my exploration of my masculinity. There's too much pressure to be tough and being gentle is Hmm. more important. One of those virtues which is seen as weakness because of the way that we talk about masculinity, yeah. I think generosity, especially like with society structured as it is at the moment, you can be a man and get quite a lot without having to work for it compared with other people. Yeah. So trying to share that out a bit. So generosity and kind of space. Yeah. And I guess humour is the other one. Like never take yourself too seriously. I mean, it looks like, Mark, you may have ticked three boxes there, which is nice. Uh, am I what? Am I generous? Gentle, maybe humorous at least by yeah i'm fred's ideal man oh well look at that and we, <laughs> and we know that fred is open to multiple partners so this is going so maybe well. a conversation for you to have with your partner when you get home Mark, i suppose this could have been wonderful for uh, <laughs> for future relationships thank you so much for joining us fred honestly that's been really a delight to hear from you yeah it really has been and um we've never even spoken before well that's true of a lot of guests but we didn't know how this was going to go really no i'm really um, thankful that you reached out and i'm thankful that you were happy to talk to us we've i feel like we've learned a lot and explored quite a lot so thank you for joining yeah. us oh, Thank you. It's been delightful. Do you have anything that you would like to, to direct people towards or resources or, or anything that, yeah? Well, plugging on, like on my own behalf, I, Go on. there are two books that I have written chapters in. They are called Non-Binary Lives. Uh, so that one's about non-binary lives. And Purple Prose is a book about bisexual experiences in Britain. But it's also got a chapter on gender stuff, which I helped write wonderful i mean bisexual lives are often not spoken about so much the b gets mm. forgotten in favor of the g um, and sometimes the l but not normally the t but yes that's wonderful thank you so much for that i'll, I'll go and look at those books this evening yeah thank you for joining us yeah, Fred. Lang or Lang Rid- yeah good luck with it eventually <laughs> getting to the bottom of your surname riddle and, uh, <laughs> yeah thank you and uh, keep listening to the podcast Fred. we might as well st- we'll do. do the yeah. courtesy of saying that <laughs> yeah, at least I listen to your own there. one <laughs> thank you so much thank you very much Fred. <laughs> thank you both and that was Fred. Wonderful conversation. As always, we always have wonderful conversations, don't we, Mark? We certainly never close an episode by saying, well, that was a crap. Can you imagine? <laughs> it would be it would be interesting to throw a curveball to our audience in that way, but it would be very disrespectful of the guest. Unless it, w- w- one time we hate a guest, but I don't think that's going to happen. I hope it's not going to happen. Well, it hasn't happened yet, and we've recorded a good few. And if you would like to get in touch with us and you think you've got an interesting story, please do. Our email address, as always, is menkindpodcast at gmail.com. And our social media is at Mankind Podcast. Um, next week, we have Rob Rinder. I mean, the only time I've ever said anything inauthentic or untrue on television was when I did Strictly, and I was so overwhelmed by it, or I was asked to look down the barrel end of the glittery camera, so hmm. I was overwrought by it, and I was repeating what they asked me to say. And I of found myself looking into the camera and saying, my whole life, all I've ever wanted to do is to get to Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> Which no one has ever said with a straight face. And yet in that environment, you do. <laughs> yeah, this is certainly not one where we we're going to say this was a load of rubbish. It was uh, an absolute workout for our brain cells, for our limited collective brain cells. If you don't know who Rob Rinder is, how? Um, he is a barrister, a TV star. Uh, he does a show called Judge Rinder. And he was on Strictly and did quite well, actually, a wee while back. Yes, you've had plenty of opportunities to hear of uh, Robert Brackett's Judge Rinter by now. And, um, well, it was a, a very 
uh, wide-ranging and we felt schooled by him intellectually, I think. Genuinely fascinating and a brilliant, I keep saying fascinating. We got given some ideas for different words. Riveting, thought-provoking. Mm, but it's about using them when the, when the chips are down. It's in yeah. these moments, you always do reach for fascinating and we're just, we're going to get there. We're doing a lot we're of just, these outros. Just we so fascinated there. by everybody. But Rob was brilliant and it's uh, one of my favourite episodes we've done so far, actually. I'm going to be so bold to say that. So look forward to that next week and I'll see you then. Yeah, see you then. Bye. 